This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, Corey Salkert, welcome to the Courage Cast. Why? Well, <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I uh, when I first heard about your story, I was really, really moved. To be honest, and I know you probably get that a lot, but it it just really touched me. And and so I just I had to have you on. I, I kept pestering um, the contact that that I had heard about first heard about your story from, and and she was gracious enough to grant me some time with you. So I uh, I really want to make this worthwhile. Uh, we have a very uh, courageous audience, uh, people who want to get out of their comfort zone or, or, you know, our understanding of the fact that we need to get out of our comfort zone. And you certainly have done that uh, in what you have pursued. So uh, people call you the hospice mama. Is that right? Yes. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> tell, me, tell me how they, how you got that nickname. Well, I guess that it would be because we do medical treatment, foster care, and adoption mm-hmm. of babies and children who have terminal diagnoses. Yeah. So, uh, kind of take me on your journey uh, to where you where you got now uh, in terms of just when did your heart just break for these terminally terminally ill babies, and how did that happen? Well, I had always had um, a concern for the unborn ever since I was a teenager, and um, that just took different routes through my life. And then when I was uh, working as a nurse, I am a registered nurse, Mm -hmm. I came across families that, uh, in my work in OB, whose uh, babies had either died or were expected to die, and so embraced the opportunity to be able to be there at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to have the courage to stay when there's really nothing that you can say that is going to alleviate the suffering, alleviate the sorrow. But sometimes just being willing to stay means a great deal. And so I wanted to be brave enough to wade into that painful situation and come alongside those families when their babies passed away. But I also, uh, so this is 10, 12 years ago, I also made it known that if there were parents that found themselves in a situation where the baby had been diagnosed in the womb with a lethal anomaly or a life-limiting prognosis that life outside of the womb was expected to be brief, if those parents could not deal mm-hmm. and there was absolutely no judgment on my part that, you know, you should, you, that, that you absolutely should do this and, and, uh, and you're stuck and it doesn't matter whether you want to, you know, you should, that was not mine to decide. Right. But I wanted it to be known that if that baby was carried until the natural term at whatever point that might be in the pregnancy, that our family would be willing to take that child home then or for however long it is that, that the baby lived, that we would cherish their life until they, until mm. they passed away. Mm. And so that was kind of where the ground um, was broken as getting us into this. But I will tell you that 
getting to the point where you are able to have a baby and a child at home that you volunteer for, knowing the heartache that is coming. God went through quite the the approval process, (laughs) Mm -hmm. quite the sifting process as far as motivations were concerned, as far as, okay, well, you know what, you only trust me this far, and I'm going to push it past that limit so that you know that I... I'm good and I am faithful and I will be there even when it's it's past the point of what it is that you think that you can bear. And yeah. so we were we were went through a season of suffering and I came very close to death and it was at that point in time that he brought my family along to where the thought of bringing a baby home that we knew was going to die was not worst case scenario. Mm. leaving that baby in the hospital to die alone and not loved. Yeah. That was the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, so, so you and your family, do you have children of your own? I do. I have eight biological children of my own, and then uh, a couple of them are married, and another one hopefully is going to you know, get the question <laughs> popped pretty soon. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, my children range in age from almost 29, she'll be 29 this month, down mm-hmm. to 16 um, are my bio kids. Okay, so you should uh, you should almost call yourself a Duggar then, right? Um, you know what? I can sport the whole jean skirt braid and pink <laughs> sweater thing just like Michelle Duggar, but she looks much better in it. But, yeah, I can do the whole <laughs> Duggar or Duggar look. I haven't Duggar. actually seen their television show because I don't watch TV, uh-huh. but, um, yes. Uh-huh. I met them once, and they were, they were the sweetest uh, husband and wife, and I met – I think they brought all their kids. I think they had 20 kids with them. Okay. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, they were exactly yeah. like they were on TV. Um, so, but anyway, right. um, so you have eight biological children of your own, you and your husband, um, and uh, you went through a difficult time. What can you share about that 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 could help my audience and help me relate to what you're what you went through? I will um, currently right now. I'm reading through the Bible chronologically, and mm-hmm. so I'm I'm in Exodus and. The Lord, all caps, has told Moses, I'm going to bring these people out, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do this in such a way that the Egyptians will know without a doubt that I am the Lord, Mm -hmm. the God, and that the Israelites will know that I am the Lord, their God. And so they found themselves in situation after situation where it looked like, okay, this is a mess. This is a disaster. This is not what, (laughs) this is not warm and fuzzy, you know? And um, it was absolutely terrifying, but he keeps telling the people, do not be afraid. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working here. And Moses, at one point in time, I was reading the other day that he left Pharaoh and he was white hot with fury. Mm. And I, I sat back and I thought, you know, I wonder whether or not some of that was directed at Pharaoh because he was not letting the people go and this was continuing to be a fiasco and whether or not he wasn't angry with God because he thought he was going to swoop in, get the people and get out and this yeah. was going to be great. Yeah. And, and that was not God's intention was that people were going to be shaken to the core and know without a doubt that he was God. Yeah. And, uh, 
The only way that that could be accomplished was the way that he did it, and that is not how humanly we would like to have a focus group and decide it's going to be done. Right. So in my own life, God has certainly worked in ways, and I have been incredibly fearful because of the way that he's orchestrating my circumstances, and I have been incredibly angry Mm -hmm. because I couldn't see how it was that he was working. Mm -hmm. And so in in the midst of the suffering and getting as close to death as I did because of all of my autoimmune crap just going bizarre um, and stumping physician after physician to where they said, you know what, just don't come back. Mm. I can't fix you. Yeah. I don't know what else to do. And you know, when I'm home and I'm dying and I'm on a gazillion different pain meds and I cannot roll over in bed and even breathe mm. without it hurting. Yeah. And asking a friend, a couple of friends of mine, I don't understand how this is bringing any glory to God. Mm. Why is it that I'm in this position where I am not dead, mm-hmm. but I'm not living? I I don't understand this. And they're very smart people. We're still in kind of that early situation with Job where his friends kept quiet for seven days. That was when yeah. they were the smartest. I was about and to reference him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And my friends just said, we don't know. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But Todd came back and said, I have listened to messages um, on desiringgod.org on suffering and the sovereignty of God. And maybe if you pull that up and you listen to it, it will give you some kind of ability to find your way in the middle of this because I don't have any answers, Corey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I would pull that up. I would listen to that through the night when I was in so much pain that I could not sleep, but I did not lose my mind with all of that that suffering and totally spiral into despair with no hope. But instead, it, it was kind of a lifeline that, all right, we're going to trust God that he's got something going here, and he's either going to take me home, which was just fine for me, yeah. or else he's going to help me to be able to live with the mess that I have right now. And he, I have had a great deal of my health restored. I'm never going to be never going to be fixed this side of heaven. I mean, yeah. I, I was born sick, and I will struggle with health things. Mm-hmm. until I die. And I have prayed for healing, and then kind of like Paul came in and said, you know, God just said my strength is made perfect in weakness, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and my grace is sufficient for you. And I have laid on the floor, and I have cried, and I have thought, I think that I'm more effective when I feel good and when I'm strong and when I'm healthy. And maybe that is, and I'm saying maybe because this isn't scripturally inspired, maybe God is actually able to work better through me when I'm not quite as capable. Yeah. Because I'm reminded all the time of where my strength comes from, and I am continually put in situations that if he doesn't show up, I'm lost. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, uh, you're, that's, a, that's a brave place to be. That's a courageous place to be. It's a, it's a place of trusting and uh, f- much more faith is required it seems, or, you know, even the faith of a mustard seed, yes. but uh, it just seems that it, faith is where you place your trust and, and obedience in the midst of such trial that you went, go through and have gone through yourself. Um, but gratefully you are, a lot of those conditions have resolved themselves through maybe integrative medicine or, or other things. And you're in a, a more of a stable place now. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, it'll be an ongoing battle, but I have some tools at my disposal now because right. of this integrated functional medicine approach that, you know, um, keep me uh, pretty much, you know, on my feet, where yeah. at certain points in my life I've been completely bedridden. Yeah, yeah. Well, I certainly understand now it makes a lot more sense where your where some of your compassion would come from and some of your, your caring and your deep love and sense of purpose for why you're here on this earth is to love these babies. Now, tell me, um, what? So you you still work in your hospital, right? No, I don't. No. Okay. No, I was. Um, uh, I left work in 2011 when everything in my um, pelvis, all those internal organs, completely collapsed, okay. and I had to have uh, surgery done and structurally left damage there that's irreparable. Mm-hmm. So then I. I've been declared um, disabled, and it was kind of like, uh, wow, you know, now now what? And that was when God stepped in and said, you know, we're not done yet, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but you're mm -hmm. home now, and you have the space and time in your life, and you also have your people, my family, on board with the idea of providing this kind of care. Yeah. Did for you... a couple of babies oh, in okay. our home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do it in our home. This is not through, um, you know, this isn't hundreds of kiddos each year that I was working with, you know, at, um, in the bereavement program that I had. This is make all the difference for one or a couple of kiddos at a time. And, yeah. and how, it's just, yeah. <laughs> It's crazy what God has done with the willingness to stay home and take care of one baby. Yeah. Well, it's it's just so beautiful. It just shows what the love of God looks like. It de- it's a demonstration of of his love. Um and it's a it's a it's a it's a caring in essence these children whose parents I'm understanding are not able to deal like you said. So right. in in some ways they're orphaned, right? Um yes. it, and you're able to take them in. Uh, how long uh, do have has these have these children lived with you? Our our first baby lived with us um, until she was 50 days old, mm-hmm. and uh, so she was 50 days. And then we um, adopted, or we first were brought into Charlie's life when he was about four months old in October of 2014 and uh, adopted him mm. um, a little over a year later in December of 2015 and he was not and well you know adoption was hurry up let's get this done you know it mm-hmm. was it was put on the process was put on steroids in order to accomplish that before he died yeah. and well yeah. he's three and a half he'll be four in June and wow. so um, he has definitely come very, very close to death. And I, I do want you to know that I have not gone through this process and just held my head up and, you know, just been confident all the way through. There has been a great deal of grief and wrestling. And at one point in time with Charlie, he was drowning mm-hmm. right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I was hopeless apparently you know in the in the short term as far as trying to clear his airway yeah. and um finally was able to do that so that he uh the breath could be going in again he was put back on the vent and we went down to the hospital 
And I told our palliative care doctor, I said, you know what, I had some ground rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, I told God, I want to be able to do this, and I want to be able to affect good here, and this is how I want to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and and I I don't I don't say that lightly. And yeah. something that you know, I understand that it is just the height of arrogance mm-hmm. to tell God, I have ground rules. Hello, excuse mm-hmm. me. You know, um, I don't know what you're doing here, but this is not what I signed up for, and I and I wrestled through that. So by no means have I gone through this and just come out, you know, roaring like a lion, and I've just, you know, so strong and so amazing. It has been a process of God working through and going. You know what? I'm not the one who's given you a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. like He told Moses, "Don't be afraid." And there are times when I I have gotten angry because I'm afraid, and being afraid makes me feel helpless. And so it's easier to be angry because then I feel a little bit more powerful and in charge Mm -hmm. of the situation. It's a joke, but that's, you know, sometimes how it's expressed. But I wrestled through that, and I was told, so this is Charlie, and he's uh, 16 months old at that point in time. The adoption had not gone through. It was, you don't have to take him home. Mm-hmm. No one here is going to fault you if you don't do this. Mm-hmm. It's not your child. You have no financial. You have no biological responsibility to do this. And no one's going to fault you if you walk away and say, I can't. Mm-hmm. And I wrestled with that. And I, and, and with God, I just said, okay, you know what? What I'm essentially saying here, though, is if I can't have Charlie on my terms... And I don't want him. Yeah. And I don't want to say that. So there was a giving over of my ground rules about what I could handle and how this was going to work out and the hope, the good that I hoped to affect had to be handed over. And I just said, all right, I'm going to trust you that you are going to get us through this. And one of the verses that... Um, was very helpful to me is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. And in the message it says, but we're not quitters who lose out. Oh, no, we'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. And there is a saying that I've heard from Beth Moore that said, courage comes from a heart that is convinced it is loved. And so even when I can't see, I want to have incredible courage because I know that God loves me. Mm-hmm. And that he is working all things together for good, even though there are certainly those times when it it doesn't look good at all, and it's scary, and it's frightening, and it's unnerving, and I don't feel like I have my feet on solid ground. I really, truly do because I'm standing on the rock. Yeah. But yeah. humanly, my legs can be shaking, but you know what? You can be brave with your with your knees knocking together in yeah. fear. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Brave in the midst of the fear that you feel. Yep. I um I love the honesty here of um you know because in a short interview or a short maybe 4 minute little press uh news or news video you can appear like the bravest woman um and that you have yes, always and this keep is your why head up. opportunities like this are invaluable to me because I do not want anyone thinking, oh my goodness, you know what, I was not born brave. Yeah, we're, And I've certainly had times where I decided that God 
did not know what he was doing, <laughs> and I despaired. Yeah. Haven't we all? I mean, it's all throughout Scripture. If you're reading through the Bible, you see people, all these people are in despair. Everybody, except even Jesus, there's that time when right before he has to, he knows he has to go on the cross. He wants yes. the, that cup taken from him. Um, right. You know, And he could have chosen not to take yeah. it. And I, I feel like, you know, when it says that he's a high priest who's been touched, he gets it. Mm-hmm. He totally gets it. And yeah. the other thing is that his mom stayed. Mm-hmm. And so while I don't, you know, deify Mary, I do take courage in the fact that she stayed there with her son. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know what? I can hang with Charlie, even though his death mm-hmm. <laughs> may be a mess yeah. and not a peaceful passing yeah. like Emmeline's was. I can take courage because I'm not the first one who's been asked mm-hmm. to walk this road. Yeah. Well, and you're... Uh it's an act of surrender. It's a, it's a daily surrender, uh, and, um, obedience, um, to, to the, to the King of Kings. That's, that's where yeah. you, you are. And I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's amazing what, what you're involved in now. You, um, how many children since you decided to bring them home, how many have you been able to love on and, and bless? Well, we have had, um, uh, seven, seven kiddos who have come through our, our doors and four of them are just fine. They came to us medically needy mm-hmm. and they got fixed and then they moved on and were adopted right. or went back with their um, biological families. And then uh, we have, um, we had Emily and she passed away at 50 days. We have Charlie and he's going to be four in June and he's still alive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we just take that day by day. Yeah. And then we also have, uh, and this again was something where it wasn't my niche because I kind of, you know, <laughs> laid it out. I do babies. Mm-hmm. And then we actually have a 14-year-old who is terminally ill at this mm-hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. So he by no means is considered a baby, mm-hmm. but because of this terminal diagnosis and he needed a family and it was kind of like, so are you going to say you don't want him because he's not 18 months old? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. So, you know, this was, again, a stretching of, but I thought I kind of laid this out for you. <laughs> but you <laughs> and said, he said yes. And you did. And I so appreciate you laying that out for me. Uh-huh. And now, you know, I'm going to give you this opportunity. And I mean, by no means. Uh, this. So we brought this child home, brought into his life a year ago. And was not anticipated that he was going to live for very long, and he is still living. Yeah. And um, so there is a stability factor with being at home yeah. that he yeah. is not suffering, he's not being neglected. Uh, you know, we notice very quickly if he is struggling at all, he is completely nonverbal and he is not able to hit a call light, he's not able to communicate that he's in trouble. Um, you know, so we just have to keep a close eye on him. But in doing so, then he is not nearly as much mentally distressed because he didn't get to the point where he was so miserable he set off all his alarms. And yeah. so that has contributed. I don't believe that he's lived a day longer than he should have, mm-hmm. but it certainly has been um, confusing <laughs> <laughs> to bring home a child that typically, you know, what if you're going to be on hospice, you have six, less than six months to live, and then you know both yeah. our buddies are still kicking. Yeah. Well, I, I I have to wonder if the kind of love and care that they're getting is is keeping them alive. 
Well, it it certainly is contributing, and so there, that's a, a two-pronged thing. You know, mm-hmm. babies can get the same medical care and diaper changes and be fed and be absolute failure to thrive yeah. because they don't have the nurturing. And that, you know, our kiddos get. They yeah. certainly get the nurturing as well as all of that, you know, that custodial care that needs to be done. The other aspect of that is, this, you know, I have had people who have said, who have who have pity, not compassion, mm-hmm. who have said, well, now you're stuck. Oh, wow. You know, you take such good care of them, and who knows when they're going to die at this point in time, and now you're stuck. Wow. And so, you know, there there has been, again, a wrestling on our part that we thought we kind of signed up for a 50-yard dash, okay, maybe a 600-meter, and, and this is turning into a marathon. Mm-hmm. And so you have to pace yourself because this, has lasted a lot longer than we thought, but not to be resentful over the 24-7-ness of it, yeah. that God God didn't bait and switch. Yeah. And I think that that's something that, you know, we have to wrestle with because we kind of sign up and we know how long it is that we're good for. And then when it goes longer than that, then there's a... Did you did you bait me into this and then and then switch? I mean, mm-hmm. you know what what happened, and we know that Emmeline lived not one minute past the time that she was supposed to. But when her mission was accomplished, yeah, she took her last breath and she woke up in heaven. And I am quite assured, even though it has not happened in the time frame guessed by doctors, and they're not God. And you know that people press them all the time and say, what, how, what do you think? And, and we need an answer, and I, and I want a rule, you know, and, and they're, they're guessing. What kind you know, of... Well, according to these signs, yeah. I, we think yeah. that this isn't going to be very long, but they are not. They are not God, and so there is a trust factor, again, and a courage factor that we are going to just hang in there until you decide that it's done, and it's been longer than we thought, but we don't even have any idea how many more people are supposed to come into our lives, because it's not just about these kiddos. Well, without a doubt, these kids know that they are loved, even though their parents chose to not be able to love them. They know without a doubt that they are loved. Um, tell me uh, Emmeline, uh, about Emmeline a little bit. Um, I, uh, I understand. I mean, what are the th- kinds of things that you did with her? And, and what are the things that you do with all of your, your kids uh, besides the day-to-day caring and nurturing and, and keeping them alive and loving on them while they're alive? What, what does that look like? What are some adventures that you do or some things that, bring life into their lives? Well, one of the things that we did with Emmeline was just live very intentionally. Um, I had heard a mom that had uh, um, her baby, and they just kind of hunkered down at home, and they they didn't go anywhere because they were just anticipating, you know, that she could die at any point, and so they didn't they didn't really do anything. And and she was speaking at a conference, a bereavement conference that I was at, and she said one of my greatest regrets is that we didn't really live while she was living because we were so focused on she's going to die at any time. And one of the things that they hadn't done was they didn't go to church because they didn't want to, you know, make anybody uncomfortable if she had died. And then she thought, you know, if she had died, we could have just like you know, left out the back or else I, I would have been there with people that 
could have been a support and an encouragement to me. And I and I cut myself off from that because I didn't want to make anyone else uncomfortable. And um, and she said, you know, I wish that we would have taken the opportunity to go some of those places that had she been a normal baby, we would have done. And I, I took note of that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, all right, well, you know what, if that would ever happen in our life, and at that point in time, doing hospice care at home was not even on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that came rolling back with Emmeline, and it was like, you know what, have baby have oxygen tank, we'll travel. And we live very close to Lake Michigan, and so the kiddos, you know, wrapped her up and, and took her down to the beach, and and uh, we walked with her, went to the farmer's market, went to the bank, the beach and the bookmobile is, you know, one of my alliteration mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, <laughs> but it was an opportunity to just kind of have her out that she had the sunshine and she had yeah. the fresh air and she could hear those birds. And you know what, maybe... She didn't necessarily comprehend all of that, but that doesn't that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, what it was is that we weren't hunkered down around her bed, and life completely shut down and came became tunnel focused until she passed away, and then we breathed a sigh of relief that that was done. Mm-hmm. It was no, you know what? We're we're going to make a difference in whether or not. And she went to a Winona Judd concert. I mean, you know, I didn't <laughs> take any of my newborns to a Winona Judd concert, and because she was not a new, normal newborn. You know, she could handle the volume of the music, and I just went and stood in the back of the theater and was swaying back and forth with her, and I thought, you know, that we had tickets to be able to go, so I wasn't going to leave her home, and we decided, well, we're not going to just live our lives on hold until you die, so we're going to just be busy living as much as as we can. So yes, she you know what she did go to that concert, and there were people that thought we were a little nuts. What are you doing? And it's like, you know what, she's... She's here, and, and we have a special reason for her to yeah. be Life's there. And that was, on a, that was on a Saturday, and she died that next week. That next so, week, yeah. Yeah. Aww. Well, I tell you, I, I believe, and I know it's not, who knows, but I, I believe that she lived longer because of the life that she was able to experience. Those moments, <laughs> those tastes of joy. I mean, if, if she had just been in a room, in a house, um, all the time and not experienced what it's like in this world. Um, in addition to all the touching and caring and loving, oh man, it's just, it's just wonderful what you do, Corey. Yeah. It's you and Mark. Now you and Mark do this together. So do you get, do you get a chance? uh, Does Mark, do you and Mark take turns or do you both work the same time? Uh, Is he working full time? Uh, how, how Um, does that work? Actually, yeah. He retired mm-hmm. last January. Uh-huh. Um, he was 62, so he'll be 63 this month. Uh, he retired last year in order for us to be able to bring our, our then 13-year-old home because you know, there's the 24-7-ness of the care, and I couldn't do that uh, by myself. And so I said, you know, if you're going to keep working, then we're not going to be able to bring this young boy home. And um, so he was able to retire at 62, and so he's home full-time, and I'm home full-time, because, you know, there's no leaving these kids alone. And we joke around and say, you know, we can't leave them alone because they'll get out of bed and drink all Mark's beer. But, you know, it's it's, it's really – and that is just our sick humor of, you know, they could potentially – have an airway obstruction and die yeah. if they were left by themselves. Yeah. And we, you know, so we always juggle things. I run out and I run errands and Mark is here and, and Mark runs out and he does errands and, and I'm here. And then we also have a 22 year old um, who is a registered nurse and uh, 
one of our biological kiddos, and she lives here yet, um, so uh, has not moved out with some girlfriends who are finishing up with school, and then they'll they'll do that. But at this point in time, so she's still home. So she is able to care for these boys if Mark and I should go out yeah. on our own. Tell um, me. Tell but me. We, yeah, what we is, stagger that. You stagger that. So what, what are the kids? How do the kids feel? Do they feel in any way left out or not cared for? Um, because of the effort and the intention that you're working um, and caring for these other, for the, these children you're bringing in. Okay, well, here's a here's a quick story on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my 19 year old at the time came to me and said, you know, you have more kids than just these, you know, just Charlie and T Bear, our 14 year old. Right. You have other kids, and I said, I do. You're right. And she said, you know, and I need you right now to help me with this, this college stuff. And I said, all right, you know, well, then let's sit down and we'll get it figured out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a little bit of resentment there that, you know, they do require quite a bit of time. And so I, I took care of this business that my 19 year old needed in order to be able to get college things taken care of. And that was something that, you know, she doesn't feel that way all the time, but mm-hmm. she was feeling pressured that paperwork was due in order to be able to get into school, and I was distracted, and she just felt like she's out on her own, and how am I supposed to make these decisions and um, whatnot. So we, so we went through there. Well, fast forward to a weekend in October, and she's home for the weekend, and our 14-year-old had to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I picked her up at the train station and I drove her home and then we had to hop in the ambulance and we had to take him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So Sunday morning, I'm home and they call from the hospital and they have said, there is nothing here to fix. Come get him and bring him home. Mm-hmm. And I went out on the porch and I thought, you know, I have really not even been able to spend any time with my college student who came home this weekend to be able to do this. And I've been chasing. And so maybe maybe I've missed it. So to say I never questioned things would be a totally false misrepresentation. Uh, false representation. I don't need to put miss in there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so I'm sitting on the porch, and I'm crying, and I'm thinking. And I called the social worker, and I said, you know what? He was down on Friday. Heart rate dropped out. Temp was super low. We did not know if he was even going to live through the rest of the day. Yeah. And come to find out he had an ear infection, but because of his disease process, he has a completely dysautonomic response to that and nearly died. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the ear infection was being addressed, and so they called and said, come get him. And I said, but weren't we going to meet with a neurologist and, you know, try and get some things ironed out? Because, I mean, hello, you know, what am I supposed to do the next time this happens? And they said, well, there, there's nothing that we can do about that right now. And trying to get a care conference set up, there's no, he does not need to stay in the hospital for that. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling a little bit panicked and afraid, thinking I'm going to bring him back home, and then how long are we going to be home this time before we have to haul him back again? Because at this point in time, he's not ours. Yeah. So we don't have the the ability to make those decisions, and he has to go back to the hospital anytime he does fluky stuff. So Biz came out onto the porch, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I just got off the phone with the social worker, and she told me you don't have to take him home. We totally understand Mm -hmm. what a predicament you're in here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we want you to know that if you decide 
that this is too much for you, that this is too much for your family, then all you have to do is say, we're done. Mm -hmm. And Mary Elizabeth looked at me and she said, excuse me? I said, Biz, I don't, I don't want to just assume that, that we should do this. And she said, Corey Salkert doesn't quit. I'm going upstairs. <laughs> I'm going to put my clothes on, and we're going down to the hospital, and we're going to pick him up, and we're going to bring him home. Yeah. All right? Yeah. And so she went upstairs to got dressed, and I thought, and this was the child that two months before said, you know, you have other kids. Yeah. But when it came down to it, she was exactly the one that God knew I needed to come back and say, we're quitting. Right. So the resentment can be there sometimes. I mean, I have all of my siblings or all of my children who are all competing for I'm the favorite. No, I'm the favorite. No, I'm the favorite. No, I'm the You know, so we don't even have to have foster kids thrown into the mix to right. have that kind of argument. Right. That's already happening. Yeah. I think it's So that wonderful. was a very long story for how do your other kids feel about it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a good example. Um, I love again, more honesty. It is not the perfect, uh, beaver cleaver situation. No. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's real life, real emotions, real feelings. We're real people. We just like in, in scripture all over the place, we're, we're, you know, fallible people. And, um, and I, but I love that your daughter decided, no, I'm, well, I think she's, to me, I heard her saying, I know what she said, which is Corey Salkert doesn't quit, but she's saying, I don't quit. I'm not a quitter. I'm made of Corey Salkert. I see what she's yeah. about and I see what my mom and dad are, are doing. And uh, you bet it is having a huge impact on uh, your family. I'm a hundred percent sure on your children as they see that as an example. So again, um, I'm just, um, just humbled to know you. I'm thankful Corey to, to hear your story. Now you have written, uh, your story, um, or maybe the stories of the kids. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have, you've written a book, right? Yes, I have. So I, I don't, I will love you forever. (laughs) I will love you forever. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's on Amazon. Or anywhere yeah. books are found, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I will love you forever. Uh, tell me about the book and the process of writing that and, and what it, does it kind of tell the story of the, your, each of the children that you've taken in, um, maybe some of your backstory? Yes, totally um, kind of tells the, the backstory and uh, loss and redemption, mm-hmm. the um, the byline underneath or whatever it says a true story about finding life hope and healing mm-hmm. while caring for hospice babies which seems like a contradiction yeah sure oh. um but that's that has just been god's redemptive work and through the um loss of my sister who drowned when she was 11 and you know just the woundedness that i carried for years and finally just as god would have it you know said mm-hmm. i'm done I'm done living wounded. I'm done living like you blew it. Mm-hmm. That I have something to hold against God that had you been there, my sister wouldn't have died. Yeah. And there's a song by Selah that says, it may be unfulfilled, it may be unrestored, but anything that's shattered, that's laid before the Lord, you watch and see. It will not be unredeemed. Mm-hmm. And so I laid it out, and I just said, okay, you know what, you take it, because my trying to make sense of it and my holding on to my right to be 
angry or or sad or whatever over your choices here and your 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 lack of intervention whatever it is that you want to call it um I'm I'm done living like this. Yeah. I want to be whole. I want to be well. I want to be healed. Mm-hmm. And in that process, you know, he has brought these these kiddos along that might not have had a life. Yeah. Much mm-hmm. of a life. Mm-hmm. Um, should we not have brought them home? But it was something that God had to do some really deep debreeding as well as healing in my heart, to get me to the point where it's like, you know what, yes, I can trust you, even though I don't necessarily understand. He says, your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. But he is, and one of the things that I have in the the back of the book, one of the last chapters, um, let me just pull that up. So, and this is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian Book Distributors, and it's coming out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be released at the beginning of March, but my publisher said that it's already being shipped out to distributors. So, mm-hmm. um, should be coming out. One of the things here it is. Um, all right, so Ravi Zacharias is one that I have certainly listened to, who is God in a hurting world. And, you know, his, how do you reconcile human choice, free will, with God's sovereignty, with we live in a fallen and cursed world? And one of the best analogies of that, for me personally, is thinking about a chord. And if you press three different notes on the piano, they can have all three notes and their one chord and where they where they separate, you know, it can't be distinguished. Mm. And so I do have the free will to make choices, and yet God's will is sovereign, and he will have his way. And it would be tyrannical if we didn't have the attributes of God's goodness. And so Ravi says this, when God is our Holy Father, sovereignty, holiness, omniscience, and immutability do not terrify us. Mm. They leave us full of awe and gratitude. Sovereignty is only tyrannical if it is unbounded by goodness. Holiness is only terrifying if it is untempered by grace. Omniscience is only taunting if it is unaccompanied by mercy. And immutability is only torturous if there is no guarantee of goodwill. Thanks be to God, we know with a surety that his grace and goodness and hope and his love underlie all of these attributes. And that is how I can take human free will to make choices which are horrific and that we live in a sinful, fallen world and that we have an enemy who's prowling about like a lion to destroy and we have God's sovereignty and all of those can be wrapped up in the same situation, and God can come in behind where it is that Satan has said, I'm going to you know, destroy this person, I want to leave her faithless. And he said, no, I'm going to let you bring in this tragedy, and then I'm right behind you going, no, I meant it for good. Like he said, like Joseph yeah. said, you meant it for evil, and they did. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. doubt about it, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of how many thousands of people, I mean, worldwide at that point in time. Yeah. So, you know, it's always too early 
to estimate what it is that God's doing, and um, there's so much of it that's not even going to be wrapped up until we get to heaven, and then our Heavenly Father is going to say, this is what I was doing. My fingerprints were all over that. You just didn't see it. Yeah. So yeah. now I go with, I might not be able to see where it is that you are, but because of what I've been through, faith is what pleases Him. And the Psalms are full of people who said, I don't see you, I don't see you, I don't see you. But it yeah. ends most yeah. of the time with, but my hope is in you. Yeah, that's the conclusion they come to. It's beautiful. And uh, Corey, thank you for uh, just being so authentic, so uh, real, so honest with me today um, and sharing your story. Um, I will and love we you. Get you a copy of this book. <laughs> I, I want one. I want one. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll talk to Katie about that. Uh, but um, okay. Uh, but I'm I'm probably just going to go to Amazon and get it for myself when it's available. Yeah, so it should be there in a couple of weeks, and it even has the audio version if you want to do it while yeah. you're commuting, which is which is great, and especially for moms with kids that you know what you don't have dedicated time because if you sit down with a book, somebody's yeah. climbing on you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can plug this into the CD player and make supper and do laundry and you know keep yeah. going and put it yeah. on pause. So yeah. yeah, there is an audio version too. Yeah, no, I love audio. Audible uh, is a is a friend of mine for sure. I, I use it all the time for my phone. Well, thank you so much, um, Corey. I'm I'm so grateful to know you, and um, I look forward to being a an advocate for you and your story. And um, I have a feeling when you share your story, this is just going to multiply in the hearts of many, many other women and men uh, who have um, been, uh, you know, planted with a seed to do this very same thing. So yes, more more children are going to be loved. Hope. More children yep. are going to be loved as a result of uh of your story being out there so god bless you Corey. thank, thank you, you so much for being on the podcast right. 